Amen. I hope you're all joining in to pray in that moment. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, hello again. Good to be speaking for the second time on uh, relationships. Can we have the PowerPoint up on the screen, please? Just to do a very brief recap of, of what we looked at last time, we looked at, at three main things, really. Is it not coming through? Just whilst that's coming on, um, it's, it has been a, a privilege to, to chat to you guys about relationships, and hopefully, certainly by the end of today, you'll know that um, it's, our, it's one of our passions to just be healthy in, in our relationships with God and with one another. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that we're going to do at the end of February, leading into the, into the spring, is to run a marriage course. Um, and the idea of that is, yes, if, you, if you're struggling with your marriage, then we'd love to, to have you come along. But actually, it's for healthy marriages yeah. that want to be healthier. Yeah. Because we're all in a process of growing and learning and learning to, to relate well together, learning what it looks like to model um, this, this love in a marriage to the world that desperately needs to know what, what Christ's love for the bride looks like. So um, that's just a little plug for you. Um, we're going to run it every second week because the hope is that those with little kids uh, will get babysitters and both be able to come along. And we don't want to put too much pressure on you. So it's going to run every other week for four weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, if you if you want your, your marriage to get even healthier, then uh, think about coming along and committing to that, that course. We'd love to have you. Okay, so last time we looked at the why, which is a bit more of an overview. Uh, we looked at life being all about relationships, uh, God being a relational God, um, creating us to need other people as well. We looked at covenant and all that that makes available to us, that incredible concept. And we looked about the importance of connection as well, and hopefully we shared really a vision of what relationships can look like um, to inspire you. So this time, part two, we're going to be much more practical. We're going to give you some tools that you can go away with and you can use in your conversations and your relationships and hopefully uh, improve your level of connection. So um, first, really, we need to look at a key building block of life, though, which is family. Yeah, the problem with the word family is that as soon as we say it, you all have a picture in your mind of what that looks like, and that's usually based on your experience of family. So it's the same as when we talk about Father God. We have immediately have a picture in our mind based on our own father, and we all know that Father God is nothing like our own father in many ways because he's so much better. He's so much more good. You know, it says in the Bible, how much more then, if, you, if your earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, even if you had a good dad, how much more then would your heavenly father give you gifts and the Holy Spirit? <laughs> so it's that, with that in mind, in terms of family today, we want, I want you to think about, we're not really going to be talking too much about, like, you know, the, the, the nuclear family, our, our own personal families. Um, although it all relates to that, I'm talking about this, this family here that we have um, as, as church and what God is wanting for us. But I want you to, to sit there and go, okay, we have an idea of what it's like, but there's so much more. 
God has so much more for us. Uh, just in the same way as we looked at covenant last time and we, we began to think, wow, I wonder if there's so much more when we understand covenant. My heart is that today you'd go, I wonder if there's so much more for us as family within the context of, of church. So if you've uh, got your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Galatians 4. This is where I see how many people brought their Bibles. Most people getting out their phones, that's interesting. <laughs> Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. (laughs) If you read nothing else this week in your Bible, just keep going back to that passage. Because it just blows my mind every time I read it. God sent his son. He had a vision for relationships and he thought, how am I going to, to express all that I am and all that I want? And he, and he showed us in the, in the love of the Trinity, he said, the father's love looks like this. I'm going to send my son. And you're going to see what it looks like to see a, a father and son relationship. You see, God is about family. (laughs) He's wanting to show us something about what family relationships look like. And he sends his son to buy us that freedom on the cross, to to cut a covenant with us, to enter into that, that oneness with him that he's made available. And then he sends his spirit into our hearts. And our spirit cries out, Daddy! Daddy! Our spirits realize that we've got a good father who loves us and is so much better than we've ever known. And we cry out, Daddy God. And we begin to realize that we are children of God, not just one of millions, (laughs) but one with Jesus, co-heirs with him in a relationship with Father God like Jesus is with Father God. Right there, that, just, that should just blow your mind. <laughs> and if you've never encountered the Father's love like that, if you've never known what it's like to be lavishly loved on by a good Father, then, then today is your day to encounter his love. It says, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what? In heaven, it looks like family. <laughs> looks like father and son and Holy Spirit in relationship as family. And God said, on earth as it is in heaven. He called us his children and he said, now we get to, to together understand family. Okay? <laughs> so my prayer is, I, I know this church is, is good at family. Like, it's one of the things that I, that I love, but I think there's so much more. Yeah. 
If you think you're good, then build on that, that strength. But if you're sitting here going, ah, oh, I think there's more too, then I want to challenge us this morning. What does that look like for me to be part of this family? You see, see I'm a, a, a wife and a, and a mom and a, and a daughter and a sister. I have, in my family, different roles to play. And they come with different responsibilities, and I get to, um, to be those people to, those kid, to, to my kids or to my husband or whoever. I have different roles, and I want to say, you in this family have roles to play. You get to be a mother or a father to the people around you. You get to be uh, a daughter to, to someone who knows more than you, to someone who wants to love on you, to raise you up to be more than you believed you could be. You get to be a brother or a sister with somebody in this place today and, and through our time here that says, I get to run with you. I get to have fun with you. <laughs> I get to experience life with you. I, uh, I can, I'll never forget being wrecked in, a, in a, a service that I heard where they were beginning to talk about, about how so often people are, are born into um, a conference or a, a crusade. They're, they give their lives to Jesus and they're promised a family, but the reality is they come into what looks more like an orphanage. It looks like lots of children sitting there going, I need a mom and a dad. Yes, I know that there's a father that loves me, but what does that look like here? And they're sitting there going, where is this family I was promised? It looks like lots of rules. It looks like lots of things in order because we're trying to keep them safe in this orphanage. But actually, it's not the family that God wanted. And I heard that and my heart broke because I was like, that right there was my experience. Until I, we went away um, and I began to watch more of an, an apostolic um, governance of, of a church where you had a father that was raising up sons, where those sons and daughters knew that they had a job to raise up sons and daughters. And those sons and daughters got to enjoy that benefit and they got to go, okay, I'm getting this, so I'm going to lavish my love on you. See, one of the things that we loved when we came here was that we were looking for family and we began to, to connect with people that were hungry for family, for community. And we said to our boys, as we began to form um, a group where we could do life with people in community, we said to our boys, boys, you have a role to play. You are, yes, you get to be, to be kids to all of these people that are older than you and to learn from them, but you also now need to begin to mentor these kids beneath you. You need to, to know that you have a role in this group, in this family, and a responsibility that comes with that. Anyway, I was sitting, my heart was broken, realizing that I actually hadn't experienced this. And I, I, I was like, God, I've cried out to you for 10 years for a spiritual mother and father. I've literally prayed so often, God, would you send somebody alongside me to help me, to to champion me, to, to feed me with things. And um, I, I went home feeling all churned up, and a non-Christian friend of mine came around, uh, a friend with two lovely kids, and um, she sat there, and for some reason, 
she just began to pour out her heart. She said, you know what, Nick? I never knew the love of a mom and dad. I kind of pretty much brought myself up, and it, and it sucked. My childhood sucked. She said, but my kids will never know that because I give of my life to make sure that they know every single day that they are loved by me and by their dad. And I'm going, this is a non-Christian on a day that I've just heard this message about an orphanage. <laughs> non-Christian friend comes around and challenges me that she's doing it. She's raising up kids to know that they're loved. And I thought, okay, I am going to get up and I am going to say, it doesn't matter that I've never known this, I choose to be a mom. For the rest of my days, I choose to give of myself to raise sons and daughters, to know that they're loved, to champion them, to believe in them, to, to add my belief into what they're doing so that they can be more than they believe that they can be. And somehow in positioning myself to do that and, and going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself to that, I also position myself as a good daughter that just began to honor the mothers and fathers in my life that I wasn't particularly in close relationship with, but I was like, do you know what? You're teaching me so much. I honor you and all that you're bringing me. I just began to position my heart to serve them well, to say, actually, I need you in my life, and so I'm just going to do whatever I can to bless you. And, and my story is that somebody then bizarrely just saw me and went, don't know what it is about you, but I want to invest in you. And she got hold of my life and she said, I give you access to my office. She said, I don't do this with any of my other students, but you can come to me anytime because I, I'm there for you. And I began to know what it felt like to be loved by a mom. <laughs> She's younger than me. <laughs> She's largely why I'm standing here today because she picked me up and she said, you, I've got so much inside of you. And she just began to love on me. So I just, I just want to say, we have a really, really good father who loves us as his children. We get to be his children and encounter his love. And because of that, because we experience that love, we get to pour that love out as family here. We get to show the world what heaven looks like because we operate as family. <laughs> Because we recognize that we, we have needs and I can't do it alone. So I need people like Rachel in my life who comes just before I stand up to preach to, to put her arm around me and say, Nick, you can do this. I need people in my life because I can't do it on my own. We're supposed to be family. <laughs> the other important thing, just really quickly, is that as family, we have an expression in our house and it's, uh, we say to our kids, you can make a mess. We're not going to control you and say you're never ever allowed to do anything wrong. You can make a mess, but you have to clear it up. And sometimes that'll look like we help you clear that up if it's a, if it's a big mess, but we're going to empower you if you make a mess to clear it up. And part of our, our role as family is to, um, to not be okay with... Um, just mess everywhere and being left and things not being said that should have been said or whatever, we actually have a responsibility as family to say, hey, mate, that, that didn't feel good. How, how, can, how can I help you to clear that up? Um, one of my 
my proudest moments as a mom, <laughs> my goal as a mom is to have intimate relationships with my kids. Intimate, as in, in to me, you see. You get to see who I am, and I get to see who you are because we have an into me, you see, intimacy relationship with my husband and with my kids. And um, one, of the, one of the most precious moments to me was when my, one of my kids came to me one night and he, his heart was just broken and he said, Mom, I've made a mess. I've been watching some stuff on the internet that I shouldn't have watched and I've hurt myself and I've hurt you and I've hurt God by doing that. And right there, my, my son, because he chose to be intimate with me, got to experience unconditional love of a mom that wrapped her arms around him and said, I love you. I'm proud of you for coming to me. I'm going to help you clear up this mess. You see, my goal isn't that my kids never do anything wrong. My goal is that they know that if they mess up, they've got someone that they can come to and that they're called to a standard that is more than they believe about themselves because I'm there to help them to figure it out. And to say, how are you going to clear up this mess? What's your responsibility in this? What do you need to safeguard so that this doesn't happen again? And we got to work through that and still work through that and know that he gets to experience intimacy and I get to experience intimacy with him because he's willing to be open about his mess as well as the things he does well. Just all little pictures of, um, of family to hopefully challenge you that there's something available to us here where, where we get to, to learn and be family so that a world out there that doesn't know what love looks like, that doesn't know unconditional love, gets to encounter family through us. Move my Bible. <laughs> okay, so moving on um, to more practical side of things, we're going to look at communication briefly. Now, the interesting thing about communication is that the goal of communication is not agreement. It's not to get your point across. It's actually to understand. The goal of communication is to understand. So we, we have situations where um, churches around the world have different denominations the Baptist, Methodist, Church of England, and so on. They gather around common agreement, basically, things that they believe are the same thing. But what does that mean when someone doesn't believe the same thing? It causes frictions or difficulties. And what we want to try and put out there is a way of communicating that it doesn't actually matter about your agreement. It's, it matters about your understanding. So it allows differences to come together and people with differences to communicate and relate well together. So I'm going to use the word iMessages. Um, Apple users will know exactly what this is. Android <laughs> users will not. <laughs> Actually, no, it's nothing to do with phones or anything like that. An iMessage is something that starts with the word I. Um, I just want to show a quick slide first. I'm going to have to read it out because I can't remember it. But honest communication 
is like being in a well-lit room. By using iMessages, which I will explain in a second, I let you see what is going on inside of me so that you're not left in the dark wondering. You see, when you know what's going on inside of me and I know what's going on inside of you, everything's so much clearer and easier and there's less stress in the situation. So an iMessage structure is I feel an emotion when you do something. But actually, I need to feel something different. So an example might be, I feel scared when you drive like that. <laughs> but I need to feel safe when I'm with you in the car. That would be a good example. <laughs> <laughs> you see, with, with an I message like that, what I'm saying is I'm not giving you a judgment. I'm not saying you're a terrible driver. I'm not saying you should drive slower or drive differently, necessarily. I'm just explaining what effect it's having on me, how I'm feeling inside as a result. So because it's not a judgment, it lowers people to people's defenses. If we try and use an I message and we start the word with like, I feel like, that's probably going to be a judgment and you're just kind of playing with those words. Because your next word is you. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, like you. you're a terrible driver, <laughs> which is basically saying you're a terrible driver. It's just a judgment, yeah? If you don't use judgments and you use I messages, then you're not judging. People's defenses stay lower. It's much easier to communicate and allow that vulnerability of you and them to find some common ground and common connection. What do you need? What do you need? <laughs> I, um, I just want to throw that phrase out as a really, really helpful phrase. What do you need? We had a situation where our um, Dan came in one day from school, and you, c you know how you can tell your kids have had a really rubbish day at school because they're slamming everything down and everything's difficult and they're really grumpy. <laughs> but it takes ages for them to begin to process and to share that with you. So just before bedtime, this all came out. Ah, oh, this happened at school today and then this happened and then this kid did this and then, and then I, I found myself in this situation and oh, it was just so hard. And this, this conversation just went round and round and round and round because all of this emotion was coming up in him and we were like, I, I messages Dan, I messages, how, how are you feeling? And eventually we just thought, like, this is going to take an eternity of sozos to actually heal my son in this moment. And so we turned to him and we said, what do you need? What do you need right now? And he looked at us and he was like, ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, genius child, he just needs ice cream. We were about to sozo him, seriously. <laughs> What he needed was ice cream. He needed to express himself, which he'd done very clearly. <laughs> but he just needed ice cream. He just needed to know he was, he was loved and had something fun to have. <laughs> so I, that's a trivial example, but often you're in a, in a situation with people and it, it's the conversation is batting. You know, they're, they're coming at you with all of these things and you, they're expressing stuff. The best question in that moment is to turn to them and say, what do you need? 
Okay, another tool. We call this the hat of understanding or of connection. You, other people may know it through different acronyms, but essentially it's a three-step process to, again, try, try and understand, but to try and reduce stress levels in a perhaps even a confrontation situation. So the first step, the H, is hearing, which is essentially reflective listening. So if someone comes to you, you know, they may be come quite aggressively and pouring out all of this stuff. All you're doing at this stage is you're reflecting back what you're hearing them say. You're not making, you're not giving them any solutions, making any judgments, anything like that. You're just saying, you know, so they've, say it was Dan, you know, he's had a terrible day at school, he comes out with all this stuff, like, so, so I'm, I'm hearing that you had a, you know, a really bad day at school, tell me about that. And what that does is it, it gives the other person the real tangible concept that you are listening to them, and they need to be listened to at that first stage. Yeah. So let's use a trivial example, like um, somebody continues to pack the dishwasher in the wrong way. I was, I was challenged to that use that as an example last night. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> so somebody um, is getting frustrated. What normally happens um, in, certainly in church co um, context, is just begin to get rumblings. You get like rah, frustration building under the surface. Actually, we want to say, let, is, let us go into a place of understanding. Let's help one another to understand how you're feeling right now. So somebody might come up to you and say, um, they might use iMessages, they're expressing that actually if you, if you put the knife like this, then the blade doesn't spin around. I actually don't know what the problem is with the, with the dishwasher, so um, <laughs> somebody can help me. But actually it makes total sense. If they've, if they've just expressed to you that, that I'm feeling this and this and this because of this, and you're, ref you're reflecting that back, you're saying, I'm hearing you say that, and it makes total sense that you should feel that way, if this and this and this is what you're feeling. See, if you feel that I'm deliberately packing that dishwasher in a way to annoy you, that's, that, that makes total sense that you'd, that you'd be frustrated by that if you think that that's a deliberate thing that I'm doing just to upset you. So the second point of hat, looking for understanding, is to say, I'm going to look for things that I can affirm about what I've just heard you say. And we start that sentence with, it makes total sense makes total sense that you would feel that way. It makes total sense that, that that's your conclusion if you've put this and this together to get to that place. It makes total sense that you're frustrated by school if you heard your teacher say that you're rubbish at maths. I've realized that there's a mistake in that slide. It should actually say affirm what you can agree with rather than affirm what you can affirm. It's kind um, of the same thing. It, but, it, but essentially, you are, you might totally disagree with a lot of what the person is saying, but you find things that you can agree with in that. And again, they feel listened, they feel understood, because you are um, agreeing with, with some of the things that they're saying, and you're, you're trying to get in their perspective of things, you're understanding why they're feeling that way. You may not agree that it's right, but, you, but that's not for this step of the process. Okay, and then the, 
when you've done those two steps, the final one is, is thoughts or, you know, basically contributing your side to the, to the conversation of, ideally you would ask the person, you know, would you like to hear my thoughts on this? They might say no, which is fair enough. They have that right to do that. But most of the time they would say yes. Their defenses have been lowered. You're able to be honest in the conversation and um, you can offer, you know, maybe not even solutions, but just some, some thoughts uh, about the whole situation. So we, we actually talk about this quite a bit in terms of marriages because, um, because there are a number of times where it just feels like you're knocking heads. You're not understanding what each other is trying to say. And at that moment, we just we kind of look at each other and, it's, and we, we use hat because it's like we reach for that hat of understanding. The goal right now for us is to understand what each other is saying. So this is just a simple tool. If you're ever feeling like you're disagreeing with somebody and it's just feeling difficult, reach for the hat of understanding because that's your goal. And you're going to hear what that person says. You're going to reflect back. That person's going to feel heard because you're going, oh, yeah. And this is what you're saying, and I'm hearing you say this. And they're going to feel affirmed by things that they've said. And only then are you going to begin to say, do you want to know what I feel? So reach for the hat in your tool belt. And, and what that does is it develops, or at least maintains, connection throughout that whole process, rather than you becoming disconnected because of the frustration in that, in that argument or whatever it is. So the final uh, tool we want to talk about is to do with forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, let me just tell you a story about why this is a big deal for me, why I feel like um, uh, it's a big deal to God. <laughs> um, in my first year away at Bethel, I got to go on a missions trip to Zimbabwe. Um, the reason that that was special is because I was actually born in Zimbabwe. It's where my whole family were from. And I, um, is that somebody else from Zimbabwe? Woohoo! Come on, that's brilliant. See, the best people are born in Zimbabwe. Um, so I was taken from, from Zimbabwe to England um, and then found myself from England going to America and suddenly had the opportunity from America to go back to Zimbabwe to a land, um, to, in, to pour back into a land where, where so they'd poured into me and I'd, I was who I am who I am because of them. So I was really excited about it. It was significant because the, the couple that had, had welcomed Bethel missions into the country just so happened to be a really um, close family friends of ours, actually the couple that led my mom and dad to the Lord. So suddenly I'm finding myself back in a nation with people that I know <laughs> with people that I, I, where I've stood on their land and, and grown up there um, and have had such a massive impact in me. It was like God was setting things up for, for me to go back and be connected to them again. And yet, when we got to the nation, everything was just hard. It was, we couldn't get through the border. One of the people on our missions trip was sent home, which when you've traveled for 40 hours on a plane to get there, because I don't think there's a further country away from California um, than Zimbabwe, so... So she traveled 40 hours on a plane to be told, no, no, you're not allowed in, you've not got the correct visa, you go back 40 hours back on a plane on your own. Um, we get to our first thing with our missions and it's a prison and they, they say, no, sorry, you can't come in. 
and everything just felt like there was a block. It just wasn't happening. So I got um, on my own before God one afternoon, and I was like, God, you brought me back to my nation. I was just dreaming that this was going to be such a, an impactful missions trip, and, and everything just feels difficult. What's going on? And I felt him say, this is about unforgiveness. I was like, oh, who is it on my team that's being so unforgiving because that's outrageous? <laughs> I know, I know the importance of forgiveness. And, uh, and he just began to show me that actually this was about my family's unforgiveness that we'd held against Robert Mugabe and his regime. That growing up, I had made judgments about a political leader that were never my judgments to make. And I was floored. I was like, oh, can you imagine that feeling? Not only was I needing to deal with the unforgiveness in my life and the judgments that I'd made, but I had to do it on behalf of my family. It was like God had brought me back to a nation and said, this ends now because, because unforgiveness blocks love. So, so by choosing to forgive right now, you're opening yourself up to love. So... Everything within me wanted to run away <laughs> from that moment, but I went and I got hold of my leader and I said, I need your help. I've got to do something. And I got a jug of water and I said to God, this represents the tears that my family have shed over this nation. <laughs> See, he knows. He knows it's hard. And I began to pour out that water on the land because those tears represented uncles that had been thrown in prison. They represented aunts that had committed suicide. They represented the, the injustice that we felt that, that land had been taken away. Our, our homes had been taken away and given. They represented um, pain that we'd felt as we'd watched our relatives and our everything that we'd known get destroyed. And I stood there and I poured it out and I said, God, I'm giving you the pain in this moment the tears that my family have shed, and I choose to forgive as an act of my will, knowing that you made Robert Mugabe and you love him, that he's one of your children. He might not be operating like that right now, but I, I'm not going to hold unforgiveness towards him anymore. And my leader said to me, okay, Nick, you've poured out all of that pain and you've confessed your sin. What does God give you in return? And I felt like God said, I'm going to give you family restoration and reconciliation. And I'm going to give you inheritance. And I was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> that sounds good. Didn't feel anything in that moment. That's just what I felt, like he said. The next day, I get an email from my dad. And he says, you'll never guess what's happened. He said, the brother, the stepbrother that I've been looking for for 40 years, we found him yesterday afternoon. Whilst I was still in Zimbabwe, these two sides of my family that have never met came together and were reconciled because of stuff that had happened. <laughs> they were brought together. And now I, I, I stand here knowing that there's a, there's a whole side of my family that I've got to know. The week I get back from Bethel, I'm... Uh, Paula will remember this because she was part of this story. She, she had to fetch, all she had to do was fetch my children from a youth group. 
but for some reason, it, she was massively delayed. She was texting me going, just, in, just a bit delayed, we'll be there in a minute. Turns out the Holy Spirit has fallen powerfully on my children. They're on the floor, nobody can pick them up. <laughs> they are manifesting under the power of the Holy Spirit, encountering his love like never before. And it, it was just them two. The rest of the group were about 50 other kids. It, it wasn't like a, 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 oh, an entire thing, yeah. it was just them two. It just so happens that that same week, my brother's boys are also massively impacted by the Holy Spirit and encounter him and his power for the first time. And my family business that week takes like 10 times what it had ever taken before. It was like God was going, you see these generational lines that have gone before you, Nick? I'm restoring those to what I've always wanted them to be. You see this generational line that's, that's ahead of you? I'm restoring that to what I've always wanted it to be. These guys are going to fly like you've never seen. You see this, this whole business that you've been trying to do? I'm blessing you with an inheritance because you've chosen to forgive, because you've unlocked something by doing that. You see, I am quick now because of that experience because it was I don't think anybody can understand the fact that I stood there and did that for a family that didn't want me to do that that's why it was so hard but I as the youngest girl stood there and said I'm choosing on behalf of my family to do this and God changes everything in a moment when we do that so I just want to encourage you again, read Matthew 18 if you need to. It says if, if your brother has a, has a problem with you, um, go to him. And it talks about forgiveness and it says you've been forgiven much. We need to be quick to forgive um, other people. I feel like I went off tangent a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> One fun thing about our boys getting impacted by the Holy Spirit so much was it was the same week that my parents were visiting, and my parents are not into that kind of stuff at all. And we'd, you know, we were a little bit concerned with them coming over to visit us at Bethel, because of course there would be all kinds of supernatural stuff going on. We'd kept it really, really quiet through the week. It had been really good, no miracles, no nothing. <laughs> Fantastic. And then that Wednesday night, the boys, they have to be carried in. They're like, they can't walk, you know, they're bobbing around and just spewing out tongues left, right and centre. And they're doing that for like the next three hours until they're in bed. And we can't even get them to bed. And like, Dan's lying in his bed and sort of bobbing up like this. <laughs> like nearly hitting his head on the ceiling because he had a high sleeper. And um, my mum was going, are they all right? Are they all right? Do we need to call the doctor? And like, no, it's just God blessing them. It's all right. We tried so hard, but God has a sense of humor, so there we go. <laughs> okay, so this final tool uh, in terms of reconciliation is called the five, oh, not quite there yet, five steps of reconciliation. I challenged Jez at one point to try and put the clicker between his legs to change the slide. I thought that would be really funny. <laughs> Whoa. You see, as a, as a church, we know that we, ha we need to forgive. And we're really um, quick to forgive people. But what we do is we get hurt and trust is broken. So we forgive them, but we create a distance because actually we've never properly reconciled with that person. So we were 
in, in quite a close relationship with them, but something happened and we, we find ourselves moving away because we've forgiven them, we've done what we're supposed to do, we've not actually reconciled. So we want to give you a tool that hopefully will become a culture in this church because we're all about connection and covenant. A tool that doesn't use disconnection as a, as a way of coping, but that uses reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation that God's given us to not just forgive, but to, to continue to be in connection and close relationship with one another. Yeah, because just saying sorry doesn't do it in the majority of cases. So if we had a situation, say I had arranged to meet up with Nick for coffee, and I'd arranged this twice, and actually both times I'd completely forgotten and just left her hanging. She'd been on her own. I know. Very sad, I know. How could I do such a heinous thing? <laughs> so I need to reconcile with Nick. So my first step is to explain what I did to hurt her, you know. I twice just left you hanging when we were supposed to be going for coffee. Left you on your own. And then I explain how that made her feel. So I made you feel alone, I made you feel not valued, I made you feel rejected. Is there anything else? I, felt, I, f I feel I'm not important enough for you to, to remember me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. And then I explain how I feel as a result of that. So I feel absolutely good that I forgot twice. I feel um, really embarrassed that I can't even you know, get a simple task up in there and remember it. Uh, again, I feel embarrassed that my work took over and I kind of got just focused on something and then completely forgot. Um, yeah, I feel really deeply inside that, that I've let you down. Now that's all good, but how do we go about building trust again? How will Nick know that the next time we arrange a coffee meet that I'm not going to bail? Well, this is what the, where the next step comes in, and it's a really important step, and it's about committing to what I'm going to do in the future or do differently in the future. So it might be for me that I will commit to you know, always putting a reminder on my phone or even confirming with Nick, like an hour beforehand, that we're still on for the, the meet, just so that she feels safe. She feels um, that she's not gonna be let down in that moment. And also, it's gotta be a measurable thing. It can't be uh, unrealistic, like, oh, I'll never do it again. That isn't something you can commit to. But you can commit to some measurable steps. And, uh, you know, Nick might say, well, if you don't confirm by an hour beforehand, then I'll get in touch. And that, she can then kind of measure how the progress is going and start building trust again, yeah? 
and then after you've been through all of that. And it sounds a long process, and it can be a long process, but it's worth going through each of those steps. Because otherwise you're really just left with a, oh, I'm really sorry. The final step, you can now get to the, I am really sorry. Key phrase now though, but will you forgive me? So then it's my choice. I've heard Jez say and own what he did wrong. I've heard him express how actually that's made me feel, that he's trying to, to know that I was impacted in that moment and it's not just like, oh, I hurt you, sorry. It's like, oh, actually, you felt this and, you, and he was interested to know whether there was anything else that I felt in that moment because, because that impacts him as how he's feeling and he expresses to me how he's feeling and he's showing me that he's going to do this, then the onus is back on me. Do I, in that moment, choose to forgive? And I do. I choose to forgive because I know the importance of forgiveness, and I know that my, it's a big deal to God. But I'm doing it without a distance created between us. I'm doing it knowing that actually he's reconciled with me, and that the next time he chooses to have coffee with me, I'm not going to go, ooh, but you didn't show up go to five people saying, do you know what he did last time? Because I've actually forgiven him and I'm going to trust that he's going to keep to those, those things. And if he doesn't, do you know what? We'll do it again. Because we'll keep building trust with one another and keep being connected to one another because that's our priority. If I keep failing, it doesn't mean to say that the trust is built. It means we can go through the reconciliation process again and recommit to start building that trust again. But if I am successful in keeping to those commitments, the trust is rebuilt, yeah? So over the last uh, couple of sessions that we've had with you, we have tried to, I suppose, impart, it feels like we're trying to impart a vision um, of what it could look like. It's impossible to try and teach it all in a moment, but we want you to, to begin to to get excited again about how passionate God is about relationships <laughs> and how much more is available to us. And the reason we do that is because, you know, Alan talked about in the Vision sun Sunday that we had, he said, you know, I want people to be, to be born in to the kingdom. I don't want them to be born into religion. I would say I don't want people to be born into an orphanage anymore. I want them to be born into a family. I want us to know how to relate well to one another. Firstly, to God, to that amazing Heavenly Father that loves us, and we're all helping one another to, to receive His love, to encounter His love, because we know that, that as we do that, we begin to pour it out. We begin to pour it out within the context of family here, but then people outside of this context see that, and there's a, there's a whole harvest out there that need to know that they're loved that we get to express that just by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. We're not going to change the subject because we're never going to be where we want to be because there's so much more. So we just hope that we've, we've started a conversation, we've created a hunger, we've given you a vision for what's more and we get to work it out together now as mothers and fathers raising up kids as kids looking to those fathers and mothers and honoring them, as brothers and sisters working it out together, we get to figure it out. So we're going to finish with a song. And I just, 
I hope that this song just um, encapsulates what we've tr been trying to say. And I want to encourage you, if you feel challenged just by the words of the song, just stand up. Just say, God, as for me and my family, yes, I agree. This is what we're going to do. If you feel like anything's touched you in terms of reconciliation and, and forgiveness or connection or anything that we've said, that you just love somebody to come alongside you as this song's playing, I just invite you to come forward. Come and get loved on by mothers and fathers. Come and get ministered to by the Heavenly Father that loves you in this moment. Come and get what you need. What do you need? <laughs> Can we play the song? That'd be great. <laughs>